0: Well, so today is Palm Sunday, as I imagine many of you are aware, even my daughter saw on the calendar, and she says, oh, tomorrow is something, and so she spells out P-A-L-M, trying to explain what a palm is, so even the calendars are saying, right, it's Palm Sunday, it's, it's, a, it's something in our culture that bears significance enough that it gets onto a calendar, I mean, even the secular right world is, is saying that something's going on, uh, and so, you know, I went to the Lord just trying to look for a, a fresh word which I pretty much gave the punchline out, if you will, during, during worship. Because so I always have a hard time, and maybe it's just something I need to grow into. I'm like, you know, last year I, I did a Palm Sunday message, and I'm like, I mean, like, what do you... Because I'm still kind of new to this, like, do you just pull out the Palm Sunday message and teach that? Like, what do you do, right? I was always taught, like, you want to have, like, a fresh, you know, leading of the Spirit on everything, you know? And so, I'm just sitting there, like, what's going on? Uh, but just to recap... Uh, um, about last year, so, so those of us that weren't here, if you forgot, you know what's going on. If we can uh, just show that video uh, real quick. It shows the scene of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So a simple little video, but you know it's it's showing the, the, the it, very you know the humanity of things, right? Having to come into the city on this day. And so last year uh, we were talking about how he, Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Olives, crossing the Kidron Valley. Um, this is the the scene looking up to the Mount of Olives that there. He's coming down with his colt with the donkey down that that mountain slash hill. Coming down from the, the graves that, that are there today this is the scene looking into Jerusalem. And coming in through the, uh, the eastern gate. And so he comes through and, the, and he does all of this. And you know, the teaching from last year was, okay, look, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Maybe you can bring my highs down a little bit. It was, um, it's all right, Sharon. We'll wait for, for Josh to come here because it's a little finicky. Or Mario, I, I feel a little bit of a static echo. <laughs> Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, because your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, coming from Zechariah 9 9. Uh, and so, what we have here is the fulfillment of prophecy. And so, the, the whole thing of last year uh, was this donkey. It says in the scriptures, it says that, that, that Jesus actually says, Go and, and find me a donkey. That this donkey had never been ridden before. Never been ridden before. It was born for the distinct purpose of this time, for Yeshua Jesus to ride him in. And it was this concept of that, right, for the Lord to come into the city, he needs a donkey. And in a sense, we are that donkey. Like, we need to bear him and bring him into the city, and this donkey has, it was, was born for this exact purpose. It was this notion of, like, what's your purpose of life, right? You were born for this distinct purpose, to bear Jesus and bring him to the city. Um, and there was an edification of, like, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So no matter what your background, no matter who you are, you are a lowly donkey that gets to bear Jesus into the city. And so that largely was last year's message. I wanted to reiterate it because it does have, obviously, things that has connection to today's sermon and, um, and, and obviously Palm Sunday. And so let's, let's reread the story a little bit. John chapter 12. It says, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. And then in verse 12, we have the triumphal entry. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, or, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So picture this, right? The, 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 Jesus is coming in, the people are shouting out in Hebrew Aramaic, Hosanna which is Hosanna in English, which is really, God save us. Like, they are testifying that he is a vehicle of God. Maybe they're even testifying that he is, in fact, God. They're saying, come, save us, you are the one. Very, very powerful. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, and it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 23, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor (laughs) And so all across the world today, right, there's a great rejoicing. Hosanna, a great rejoicing. Hosanna, a great rejoicing. The king has entered the city. And I'm preparing for this. The Lord was just downloading to me as I said in worship. He's like, well, what are we really rejoicing about? And so... You know, typical Christians say, oh, we're rejoicing that Jesus has come. He's coming into the city. He's going to offer himself up as a lamb, as a sacrifice. And man, I'm telling you, that is something to get excited about today. Like, there should be a little excitement in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus has come to save us. To bring us reconciliation, relationship with God the Father again after like 6,000 years. That's pretty phenomenal. There should be a little spring to our step today. And when you walk into the store, you'll be like, you know what today is? Hmm. Right? But the Lord was just saying, that's not the only reason why we rejoice. What does Jesus say, right? The people are saying, right? Save us, save us, save us. And what does Jesus use that opportunity to do? At the very end, what does he say? You have the opportunity to lose your life. He who loves his life is going to lose, but he who loses his life and surrenders his life and lays down his life is going to gain it. Like, how amazing is this that when Jesus is entering into the city, everyone's rejoicing. Oh my goodness, you're, like, you're, you're going to save us. And his response is not like, yup, I'm it. His response is, lay down your life. And it's bizarre and it's crazy. But that is actually something that we are able to rejoice in. Amen. Yes, the King has come. A lot of Christians are rejoicing in that. But I'm telling you, there's more rejoicing. And it's really foreign to many of us because it's like, we don't even necessarily have a grid for it. And the grid is, we get to rejoice that we get to lay down our life. That doesn't get a lot of amens. Amen. Not that you have to, I'm just saying like in general. Like, it, like it's something that's like... But it's not meant to be a heavy word at all, at, at all. And so, okay. It is essential. So, you know, I'm just looking at this. It's like, this is, this is really bizarre. This is really, really bizarre. But Jesus comes in. People are saying, Hosanna, right? Greatly rejoicing. God saves. You are the one. I mean, you are the guy. You are the one that is going to save us. And then six days later, the same city that's shouting out Hosanna is the same city that says, crucify him. It's like, how do you go from save us to crucify him in less than a week? It's unbelievable. Now we can say, well, you know, Dave, you know, not everyone was saying crucify him. Of course not. But when there were a select group of people that were saying crucify him, where were all the people that were just a week ago saying save us? they did not step up they did not speak out they did just not say no he's a good guy what are you doing no one is saying anything even peter himself denies him three times no one in the city is standing up for jesus but six days before they're freaking out like yes he has come there are plenty of people that believed in him but they're quiet not standing up for Jesus in the most difficult hour of his life, in his ministry. I said, like, okay, why, why does this happen in, in like six days? Like, why? Like, well, one is just, it's, it's flat out prophecy. Isaiah 53, right? He's a lamb led to the slaughter. He opens not his mouth. He's rejected and despised by his brothers. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. But prophecy, a lot of times, is, is, is a revelation of real things that are happening. And so, fine, that happens, fulfills prophecy, but there are real things that are happening. So, what, what are the real things that are, that are happening in, in the previous six days? Essentially, it's this. In those six days, the spirit of the world is rising up. I mean, the spirit of the world is rising up, and what happens here is from Hosanna to crucify him, in between what happens here is flat-out fear. I mean, it's flat-out fear. Now, let's think about this. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're not even really a disciple, but you're excited and you're caught up in the, in the energy that people are saying, this is the guy. You hear about the miracles and you hear that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And you hear that he's, he's making the lame walk and he's doing all these miracles. And he's coming into the city right before Passover. I mean, any like school-aged child sees the writing of the wall. Like the Lamb of God, like, I mean, they see it, they know it. But what's going on here is, is unbelievable. It's flat-out fear. Because the spirit of the world is coming up against the ministry of Jesus. Come on, let's think about this. The Roman authorities are coming after this guy. Like, the spirit of control and dominance and authority and politics is raising its head to come after Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the religious spirit is railed again, coming after Jesus. And now you're sitting there and you're like, oh boy, if I vouch for this guy, what's going to happen to me? Let's just think about this for a moment, you 2,000 years ago. You have the opportunity to vouch for Jesus. At that time, at that hour, what would happen to you? You would be crucified. You would be flagged, flogged rather, have your skin ripped off, maybe even mocking. put a smaller crown of thorns on you, like, oh, you little Christ, which is actually what Christian means, a little Christ. And you probably would be put on the execution stage. Because the spirit of the world is rising up against the ministry of Jesus. And that's how you can go from a people that say Hosanna to a people that either say crucify him or "Uh, I'm just not going to say anything. So you would have died if you vouched for this guy. And see, that's, that's the thing, man. That's a message that really needs to come back in the church. Yes. If you vouch for him, there will be a death and there will be a resurrection. Like, if you actually want to serve him, if you actually want to be his disciple, yes, you will die unto the self. You will have to crucify yourself in a way and pick up the cross daily and watch Jesus be resurrected and resurrected in your life. But at the time, it was worse than now. At the time, it was like a physical death. Now it's a spiritual death. And I honestly don't know which one is more difficult. But I do know this, in the comfort of our Christianity, in the comfort of things, in many regards, we're still a little quiet against the spirit of the world. If I vouch for Jesus in this context, they're going to crucify me. You think I'm crazy? Is that going to make sense? Even the spirit of religion is going to come up against you? Oh, man. But that's the way it is. So, really, to understand this process, we 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 need—we need—we gotta. I mean, we could stop there and it'd be cool. I'll be nice, relaxed, and we can go eat. But feel like the Lord was giving me more, right? So, to really understand this, we gotta take a little look at what's been going on, like that whole week, because during that week, that is like the pin—the pinprick. That's raising the head of of, of the demonic. Raising the head of the spirit of the age. The the law, the authority, the religion is all coming up like a sleeping giant. And so what's been going on this week? So Sunday is, of course, Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in. Everyone's adorning him with palms. They're saying that he's the great king. Everyone is pumped. They're saying, save us, save us, save us. Because they see Jesus and they believe that he is the Messiah. They believe he's the, what's called the Mashiach ben David, the, the Messiah, the son of David. The Messiah that's going to set up his earthly kingdom. The Messiah that's going to kick out the Romans. That is what they see and what they know. That's not the only type of Messiah in the scripture. right? There is the uh, Mashiach ben Yosef, the the suffering servant Messiah that Jesus is going to fulfill here. But the people at the time are like, this guy, we are pumped because he is coming in and he's going to kick the Romans out of the city. But then he doesn't. He doesn't. At least not in the natural he does. He doesn't defeat the Romans in the natural. And people are like, Wait, 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 wait. That's not what our expectation was. Yeah, that is your religious spirit. What your expectation was. So the religious spirit's like, this is not like the Messiah is supposed to look this way. All right, so there, right off the bat, boom, he's going up against that religious spirit. Monday, he cleanses the temple and he's the cursing of the fig tree. What do we have here? Jesus goes to the temple and he says, my house is a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a place of consumerism. I thought the Lord was just coming up against me. It's like, man. You know, Will Ford's teaching that Saturday night, man, on commodity. You know. And, and, I, and it's just this. You know, we want to relate this stuff to today and to us. It's like, how much do we view God as a thing? An object. A commodity to be purchased. Like, God, what can you do for me? Give me, give me, give me. Give me. A lot of the church is built off that way. And that's what he's going up against in the temple. I feel like the Lord is just saying with, with, with this whole experience and for us today is this. You know, do you, you want to consume me? I'm, Jesus is like, I'm, you know, in the spirit, he's like, I'm not a thing. I'm not a commodity. A thing is an object to be, to be used. I am the God I am. That wants intimacy and relationship. And so he goes to the temple and he goes up against the, the spirit and it's like, I, God is not something to be consumed. Like, put your tithe offering, you know, chant a couple of songs and now he's going to give you everything that you've ever dreamed and ever wanted. That's paganism. That's paganism. That is, let me pray a little harder, let me cut myself, let me starve myself to control you and convince you to give me what I want. That is flat out satanic paganism. What he wants is not to be used. What he wants is to be adored and lifted up and have intimacy and relationship with you. It's a different type of Christianity. It's not a Hail Mary here, Hail Mary here, I'm going to get what I want. It's no. It is a lover who lays down his life and says, I just love you and cherish you. I don't want to just use you. I want you to use me for your kingdom. That's the spirit he's going up against, so much so that when he's either leaving the temple or going into the temple, I forget, he passes the fig tree and he curses it. He says, "You bear no fruit." Like right? this is what he's saying, right? In his Passion Week, "You need to bear fruit, or you be cursed. You have no worth. I don't need you. as you bear fruit. Bear fruit of the kingdom." And how do you bear fruit? A seed must die in order to grow to bear fruit. Come on. Rejoice in that. I know it's crazy. It was crazy when I was writing. I'm like, what, you're telling me we get to rejoice? that we get to die to self, and God is like, yep. Yeah. I can rejoice in that. I can like learn to rejoice in that. And then I go talking to Alan. I'm like, Alan's been rejoicing in death for I don't know how long. And it's like, all right, brother. Here's the mic. <laughs> so good. All right, let's, uh, let's open up now. Uh, the next day, Tuesday, Matthew 23. This is, like, this is like, this is probably like the most intense Jesus ever was. Matthew 23. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, verse 24. Blind guides, who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are the witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the combination of hell? It's like, holy cow. Like, this is as intense as Jesus gets, like, on earth. And I remember when I was in college, I had, like, these street preachers who would preach like that. You're going to hell and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we got to- I got talking to him. And he's like, well, you're a believer? I'm like, yeah, I'm a believer. You're born again, yeah? You feel the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you pray in tongues? I'm like, yeah? Well, how come you're not doing this? I'm like, dude, like Jesus is love. Yeah, but he goes after the Pharisees. I'm like, yes, the Pharisees. If Jesus was here, who would he be talking like this to, if anyone? Not the prostitute. Not the divorcee. Not the woman that just had an abortion. He would be talking like this. Maybe some of us are even in the room. My God. Those people that are of the religious elite. The Pharisees, Perushim, are the zealous or the righteous ones. These are people that are going around saying, we are the righteous ones. That's what Perushim means in Hebrew. The righteous ones, essentially. So, Jesus would only talk like that to someone who is essentially uh, a pastor. Someone in the clergy who's a hypocrite. He would call me, you whitewashed tomb, in theory. Not, 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 not the person that's hurting on the street. The guy just looked at me like, well, you're going to hell. I'm like, all right. See him somewhere, right? It was really bizarre. But here's the thing. This is what Jesus like. Remember, right? You're transitioning from Hosanna, save us, to crucify him. What's going on here? What we have here is this man, he's confronting the outward signs of hypocrisy of religion. You look like a religious person, you say the religious things, but inside your heart, you're still a sinner that hasn't repented yet, that doesn't understand real intimacy. Yeah, you could quote the Bible inside and out again, but in your heart, man, you're wicked. I get scared. I'll be honest. I get scared when people come in here and they start quoting a whole bunch of scripture. I'm like, oh no, not one of these again. <laughs> I'm telling you, nine times a day, I'm trying to be judgmental. Nine times out of ten, someone who comes in here and I've never seen before and they start like quoting all the scripture, they're, they're, they're usually whacked. I'm being honest. Just be careful how you talk to me. I don't want to judge you, but they're kind of whacked. Because I'm telling you, what they do is they just, they, 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 they're so insecure in who they are. They're so insecure in the place of their heart. That they put up a filter and they quote and they play this game to try to pretend so you don't really see them for who they are. Someone who knows they are as a son or daughter doesn't have to like show you how great they are at quoting scripture or show you how great they are at like praying. And, and They don't have to do that. They know who they are. But the, par- the Pharisee, the self-righteous ones, are so insecure they need outward signs of religion in order to fool everyone anyone who's walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, you see right through it. You're like, oh, you're one of those. Okay, I'll be nice. I'm not going to say anything. But you're walked out. You got it all wrong, man. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. They've lasted like two weeks here, and then they leave. See, they, 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 they can't handle freedom. Spirit of the law, the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Freedom from religion. So, man, he's going up against so it. That's going to raise, man. That's going to raise some heads and some people. They're like... Bah. Next day, Wednesday or Thursday. And, and I say Wednesday or Thursday because scholars argue about it. And that's like a whole other... I'm not even going to go down that road because that's, like, that's literally like an hour sermon. I could teach on like was it Wednesday or Thursday and what's going on. The Tradition here, right, by the church is that he, 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 it's, it's not Wednesday, but it's Thursday... But if you, like, if you do basic math, like Thursday to Friday is one day, Friday to Saturday is two days, like it doesn't quite... Like Good Friday, right? He died on Good Friday. Well, you know, not to like, bust your bubble and here I go, right? Friday to Saturday is one day, Saturday to Sunday is two days. The sign that I shall give this generation is three days in the belly of the earth. How do you... Two, three, like... And, you're, and I know you guys think that, well, who cares? When you go to a Jewish person, and like there's a Messianic prophecy about three days in the belly of the earth, and they will literally come to you and say... Jesus was two days. Yeah. No, it's not. It's three. They're like, no. When did he die? Friday. And he rose again on Saturday, uh, Sunday morning? Yeah. Well, do the math. Yeah. Friday to Saturday, Saturday to Sunday. It's two days. So I don't know if it's really good Friday, but that's a whole other thing. And if you're offended right now, I'm going to tell you right now, guess what that is? The spirit of religion. That's the spirit of religion if you're offended right now. Just let that sink in. Just don't crucify me. No, honestly, I don't know. I mean, in God's paradigm, I don't know what's going on, but it just doesn't seem to to make logical sense. If that's like one of the, like, Jesus says that is the only sign. The only sign I'm going to give this generation. You seek a sign. There's only one that I should give you. Three uh, Three days in the belly of the earth, like Jonah in the belly of the whale. So, some people say, actually, like, take a look at this, and it's not just Greenockle and his Wacto views. I mean, there are actually real scholars who are like, you know, if you take a look at the Passover, and it says that they had to take them down for the Sabbath. Well, there are different Sabbaths besides Saturday. There's a Sabbath, which is of what's known as a Yom Tov, which is a a special day, which is probably Passover. But that's all the rabbit trail. Maybe that's next year's sermon. I just don't know if there's a lot of fruit in that, is is what I'm saying. And I went down the rabbit trail because, you know, There's all different levels of of people here with different understandings. So, hence, Wednesday or Thursday. It's going to be like, Wednesday or Thursday? The Passover occurs, okay? So we take a look at Luke, and we'll see what's going on here, because this is the next thing that he's going up against. Luke chapter 22. Um, Let's begin in verse 15. This is good. Then Jesus said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Right. So this is the Pesach, the Passover, which we will be doing this Friday. And he took matzah, or unleavened bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is, the sh- which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me at this table. So he's walking them through this, and then this like, kind of, you know, for the sake of time, this crazy scene takes place, where the disciples now get in an argument. And the argument is, well, which one of us is the greatest? Like, Jesus like, is talking about like the Passover, broken bread and his blood. And they're like, well, which one of us is the greatest? Like, like they actually get into an argument over like who is like, next in line. Who's the big, you know, the man of God. Verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. That's the spirit of the world. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves. Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves. And this is when he starts talking about like washing the feet in other of the Gospels. And Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. So again, to this argument of who is going to be the greatest, and what we have here is now Jesus confronts the flesh of the disciples themselves, and he's going up against this both the authority of religion and the spirit of control that can, in fact, live inside of us. I mean, come on, like the disciples, like I don't like oh, maybe I shouldn't, but like I don't put myself on the same level of the disciples. It's like the disciples like the disciples, I don't know if that's the right way, but even they are struggling with the elements of control and of religion and of authority. Yeah, but Jesus, after you, who's more important, you know? After Dave, who is it? Is it Mario, or is it Josh, or is it Alan, or is it Bill? Who's the one in control, man? What's going on? Come on, that's what's going on here. And Jesus is saying, you will know who is the greatest amongst you. He who serves the most. He who washes feet. He who comes into the church and cleans the potties and washes the floors, that person is the greatest amongst you, and that person would be Steve Pinta, <laughs> Whom you do not see here in the church. But I wonder when we get up there if God is like, oh, you served me. You love the church. You love what you're doing. You wore that well. It's like, man, Dave, when was the last time you cleaned one of the toilets here? The greatest shall be those that serve. Praise God. So, we look at this stuff, and you know, that's like a big part of the week. And then, obviously, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever we slice or dice it, we'll be reading the story of the, of, of the crucifixion, and the resurrection. But this is this is what's happening with Palm Sunday, and so. Fine, you know, we go from Hosanna to crucify him, and I felt like the Lord was just saying this. So quickly today in the church, we can go from one who says, Hosanna, save us, to a people that say, Crucify him. Meaning, I want nothing to do with what you teach. Like, I'm just going to do what you teach us when it benefits me, and it's good for me, and I can consume it, but not when it causes my flesh to die. I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to use. So I just let the Lord just say, man, you know, we like to poke fun at the people that were living in Jerusalem at the time. Like, how could you have done that? How could you have done that? I'm wrestling if I do that now. Whew, do I do that now, Father? Am I living in a place of rejoicing and glory in the coming of the King who's going to say, lay down your life? Or am I one that's like P- Peter that says, I know you. And I knew you before, and I'm going to know you after this resurrection, but not now. So we need to know him during the resurrection. We need to know him when our flesh is tinging, when our flesh is hurting. we got to run to him and say, I know you even now, Jesus. Not just before, not just after, but during it. Now the worship team, come forward, please. Because you see, what he teaches here is die to the flesh. Come on, man. Everyone wants a resurrection, but not many want to die. That's a country song. Like People want the resurrection. Like, Lord, you're going to bring me into high places. You're going to defeat my enemies. You're going to overflow your cup of the Spirit of God upon me. We love the resurrection story, but not many people really want to die to the self. But to get a resurrection, you need to die. And Jesus is saying this during Holy Week. You got to die. So, people, I'm telling you, man, it's time to rejoice. It's crazy. Jesus this week comes into the city, fulfilling prophecy, pours himself out as a drink offering. So, we got reconciliation and life eternal. Rejoice. I need some music. Rejoice. I, I know this is crazy, man. I'm telling you, I'm working it out. I don't got all the answers. I'm working it out. But you can rejoice. And laying on your life. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm still trying to comprehend this. I want to comprehend it for eternity. So I'm letting myself go. It's going to be okay. For all of eternity, I'm going to be comprehending the wonders and the glories of God. Amen. But I know now, small in part, I know a little bit that I can rejoice in the sufferings and bearing the cross and laying down my life there. Why? Why can I rejoice in it? Because he loves me so much that he wants me to be transformed into his likeness. Can you imagine a God that says, I love you and cherish you so much. And I'm coming to earth, not just to save you. I'm coming to earth so that you can be transformed into my likeness. And show your brother Cain and your brother Abel. And show Adam and Eve and all those types of Archetypes, what it means to be loved and to be a, an anointed one. So if they look at you, they see me. That is something to rejoice about. He loves us so much and he wants me and you to be like him. When it comes out of death, I got lay it down. I got to lay down the right to be right. I got to lay down the financial worry. I got to lay down my, my, my 401k and where it's going and all this kind of stuff. I got to lay down the size of the church. I got to lay down the roof. I got to lay down all the issues, all the problems and say, I'm giving it to you. Raise it up again in three days, oh Lord. And When you do that, what peace? Yeah. I don't have to do it. I'm not the one that has to look for the job. I'm not the one that has to look for the bills to be paid. I'm not the one that has to convince my little one or my cousins or my grandmother or my spouse that you that, that they need you. You mean that's not my responsibility? I just can let go? Yes. Allow the Spirit of God to work all things. And you mean, if I do that, now my yoke is easy and my burden is light now and I can just lay it all down? Because when you die, you have to lay it all down. There's nothing left. You just lay it down. And all the stress and all the worries of every little thing just... Luke 19. Closing up. All of these events of passion week is precipitated by another event. And it's an event that allows everything else to just sink together and make sense. Luke 19 verse 41 to 42. As he approached Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city, he wept over it and said, "If you Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now, it is hidden from your eyes. There are only two times in Scripture when Jesus weeps. One is the famous one of John 11, the shortest sentence in the Bible, and Jesus wept. So in Lazarus, Lazarus is dead. He looks over at Mary and Martha and they're, they're crying. And it says, And Jesus wept. But studying this, scholars are saying this, Jesus wept. In Greek, the wept of John 11 is kuro. It means silent tears. It's the welling up in the eyes. You know like when you're watching a movie and something's very moving and the, the tears kind of well up? But you're, you're not... You're not like, it's not out, it's the welling of the eyes. So in John 11, when Jesus sees Mary and Martha crying, his tears well up in his eye. It's a silent cry. It's it's there. But here... Right before Passion Week, when he's looking down at the city, when he looks at what's going to happen, when he looks at the holy city of God, where the presence of God is, is to dwell, where he himself is going to come back and put his feet there and be worshipped, when he's looking at that city, it says that he kleo. He cried. Kleo. He wept, Kleo in Greek is audible sobbing. He is there, and he's reciting this, and he's audibly crying out, sobbing in, in, in tears. If you only knew, what would give you peace? The Lord was just saying, fine, you've got a, literally a city called Jerusalem. But he looks at us. I'm telling you, he looks at us, and he looks at us, and he's crying. And he's like, if you only knew, what would give you peace? What would give you peace is allowing the King to enter into the city, to enter into your heart and for you to lay down your life and to lay it all down and allow me to be resurrected in you. That will give you peace. If you're struggling with conflict, you're struggling with things, I get it. But I'm telling you, Jesus weeps over you. I love you so much. And I know what would give you peace and what would give you peace is to die to the flesh and allow me to be resurrected in you that's gonna give you peace to so do it amen, amen. why do not we stand if we only knew if we could only knew what would give us peace he says but it's hidden from you but I'm telling you right now it's no longer hidden for it is Palm Sunday, it is Hosanna, God save us, it is not hidden anymore, he has told us time and time again, peace, receive Jesus, peace, die to self, and allow Jesus to raise up inside of you, let the king come in, accept his death and resurrection, and then finally, die to the flesh, and allow Jesus to resurrect in you, he is not a commodity to be used, he's a lover to be loved. When my desires die, his desires rise up. When my will decreases, his ability increases in me. When I rely on my own righteousness and that decreases, his righteousness in me is shown unto the world. What peace! I don't have to prove to anyone or to you, Lord, how much I love you. I just need to die and allow you in your spirit to rise up in me. I don't have to prove to anyone, I don't have to prove to my boss that I'm a good worker I don't have to prove to the church board that I know what the heck I'm doing I don't have to do any of that All I have to do is be right standing with you and say you are my lover I cherish the gaze in your eyes I love you Lord and I'm not coming to the cross to gain anything I come to the cross to lay everything I have at your feet And watch Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, rise up in, in me that my friends is something to rejoice about that is something to show the world that the king of kings have come to die to bring reconciliation but that we too it's totally crazy we too get to die and lay it all down and not have to have that burden anymore what a thing to rejoice hell of heaven is rejoicing and so, Lord, we come before you. And we say, Hosanna! Hosanna! Yeshuati! God save us, the God of my salvation. Yes, save me from hell's fire, but I'm asking you now, Lord, to save me from the spirit of the world, to save me from the spirit of religion, to save me from myself, to lay it all down at your feet every desire, every heartbreak, every worry, this week, right now, we say we lay it at you and consume us, oh God. Woo! Praise God, praise God. Have a wonderful week. But I'm stirred. Oh, I'm stirred, people. I'm telling you, come down to the altar Get a fresh touch of Holy Ghost. Come down. If you're you're stirred into yourself, you're like, man, I've been living for myself for too long. But this Pesach, this Passover, this Passion Week, i got to lay it all down because there's a peace that I've been missing. There's a peace I've been missing in my life. Come down and receive. Receive from Him. Come on. I know there's people out there don't play the that the oh my gosh, everyone is looking game. Are you telling me right now that you don't have something in your sick? I need peace. Come down and get set free. I'm sorry that I'm screaming, I don't mean to. I'm just hungry. I'm hungry for the God of my salvation. Just set me free and just set you free. Come on. This is the season. This is the Moadim, the appointed time to be set free from the burdens and the cares of the spirit of the world. We just pray right now, Lord God, for those that are coming down and those that are in their seats for a spirit of freedom to fall. A spirit of freedom to fall. We pray against the religious spirit in Jesus' name. We pray against the, the spirit of law, of authority and dominance right now. And we say we set him free. Set him free, oh God. We say yes to the dying to the flesh. We say yes to the laying down at the cross. We say we want to die to ourselves, Lord. We want more of you, God. Because it's that, it's that which will bring you peace. It is that which will bring you peace, Jesus.